Hello. Welcome to the Dive In Movie Cast, a film podcast where two unqualified critics give their opinions and try and differentiate themselves from every other podcast out there. My name is Hayden. And I'm Wesley. And this week we're talking about the GOAT. We're talking Martin Scorsese, or should I say TikTok star, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> That's why he's the GOAT! <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it goes without saying, anybody who, who loves movies the way we do are obviously familiar with the work of Mr. Mr. Martin Scorsese. Mr. Martin Scorsese. But I I just, yeah, we're going to be getting all into his new film, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, but before we do that, Wesley, how has your week been? It's been busy. I'm currently doing uh, a show, The Nutcracker. I'm currently in The Nutcracker again. If people are long listeners, I was in it last year. Um, back again, doing it again. Super fun, uh, but time-consuming. Uh, takes up a lot of my life, but... Uh, it's I'm making some money off it. It's a good time. I can't complain. And it's like, it, it's made me realize how actors get paid so much money for the things they do. Because it never really made sense to me until I realized that they don't get paid for the amount of time they're putting into this movie. They get paid for their professionalism. Like, um, I I've gone to very little rehearsals. Um, but that's because I know the show and I know what I'm doing and they don't have to teach me anything. And so they're like, you don't have to come into as many rehearsals because we're paying you for your ability to just do it. Um, and I, I realize why actors get paid so much for those things where it's like, oh, uh, this is a role that's going to be like, you're going to do this one thing in this one scene and we're going to pay you like $10 million for it. That it's because they just show up, do it and leave and no one has to worry about it. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and I also, I was literally just talking about this. This week I've learned I'm a pen and paper guy. I'm going to become a pen and paper guy. I'm going to get a little notebook. Oh, I have a little notebook already uh, that I started jotting things down in because I find I put things in my notes on my phone and then I just forget about them. I forget they exist uh, and I never touch the notes again. And so having it on a piece of paper, A, does actually help your memorization. Uh, I was reading that when you... Just read something, and memorization is like 5%. When you say it out loud, it's like 10 When you write it down, it's like 15% of it of the information you're collecting into your brain. My problem, pen and paper, I'm left-handed. So immediately, mm. I'm at a disadvantage because I have the most chicken-scratch-looking handwriting ever. Bro, your chicken-scratch handwriting is nowhere near as bad as mine. Mine looks like if are I'm writing sh- Are fast, we sure about that? Dude, mine's <laughs> bad. Mine looks like a three-year-old who just learned how to write. Oh, yeah? Well, mine looks like a two-year-old who doesn't know how Damn, to write. all right. You have <laughs> shittier handwriting. <laughs> no, but honestly, I think my problem with, with writing pen and paper is just that my hand just gets sore. It, like, cramps up halfway through, and I'm like, I'm just going to write this on my phone because then I can type it faster. There you go. You know? I, I haven't been up to much recently. I, we're kind of in this state of flux where after, you know, when after you book a vacation, the next few weeks or, you know, sometimes few months kind of just become a countdown until your, your yeah. trip. Mm-hmm. We're just occasionally doing a pod, and everything leading up to it is like New York. It's just New York. That's all I'm focused on. Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. It's been most most of my week. I've been trying not to add any new things because I'm like New York's coming up. I don't want to add anything else. Yeah, fitting that we're we're going to New York right after recording our, our Martin Scorsese episode. Look Yo. at that. But uh, no, honestly, I just did a, a quadruple feature at the movies the other day, like a psycho. Yeah, that's wild. Next goal wins. Salt burn. A dream scenario and the ballad of songbirds and snakes it's a great time i have lots of thoughts on all those movies which i'll probably post on our tiktok but mm-hmm. yeah let's let's get right into the work of of marty himself 
you know, it, it goes without saying how he is just like an iconic filmmaker. He is, simply put, in my opinion, the greatest filmmaker to ever live. Whoa. A bold statement, but his filmography traverses decades and genre and every time he makes a movie he puts everything into it and i don't i don't think you can say that about a lot of other filmmakers people may have their favorites and everything like that but i think if we're talking pure craft and pure dedication to the art form he is at at the top of the list um so yeah i killers of the flower moon is an interesting movie in his filmography it's a very heavy movie and it's got a lot of themes that are you know maybe not so accessible for us. I'm going to jump out the gate right here and say it. We do not, we are two white guys from Canada. Obviously we know that these things happen in the world, all this stuff. We're not going to try and relate to any of the things that the Osage have dealt with within this movie. We're not going to try and relate to any of the uh, native themes that are put throughout this movie because we just don't understand. We're going to do, we're going to probably say some things about them and discuss them but we understand that we cannot relate to something that we have no connection to and no understanding of likewise though with martin scorsese himself right like he is also a white man telling the story of course i feel like these things matter to the conversation Mm -hmm. but also um with us living where we live in in nova scotia you know like tragedies with with indigenous people is a, a very common thing in this area in particular. So there is a lot of parallels in like some, not our lived experience, of course, but in the experience of so many people directly surrounding us. So I feel like this is a, a conversation that is a bit harder to navigate, but we're going to, we're going to do our best to, to try and talk about it with some intelligence and, and some grace. We're going to give it a shot and try not to get canceled. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But what do you think of Martin Scorsese? Cause you know, what, what is your favorite film by him? Um, I, obviously, right out the bat, favorite film by Martin Scorsese is Goodfellas. Uh, that's the greatest film I think he's ever made. I think it's my favorite movie uh, that he's made of all time. That being said, there are a lot of good movies that he has made that I haven't watched, such as Casino or Gangs of New York, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them I haven't watched. I will not lie. Um, I think Martin Scorsese's great. Uh, I have. I'm no. I'm not gonna like come out and say like you just said that he's the greatest filmmaker of all time because I don't have the knowledge to say that. Um, That's why he's the GOAT. <laughs> I, yeah, I just don't have the film knowledge to be able to say that. Um, do I think he's good? Yeah. Do I like his movies? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know what you mean. I, I, I Yeah, I think he's a good filmmaker, and he, whenever he puts out movies, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to Instantly excited for it sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. My favorite by him is actually The Wolf of Wall Street. It took That's me, your favorite? It's my favorite. Took me a lot of like thinking on it and like okay. really going back and forth with it. I had I've rewatched a lot of his films, and in the lead up to Killers of the Flower Moon, in particular, I, I rewatched a bunch of his films. I rewatched Wolf of Wall Street, rewatched Goodfellas. Listen, a lot of his movies are five stars for me. So when you have like multiple five star movies by one director, where does that leave you? You know, like, and I had to think about which one I personally enjoy the most, especially on a rewatch. And it's the Wolf of Wall Street. I think that that is such a, a great examination of just like shitty rich people in America and the way that Wall Street just kind of like eats decent people alive and then spits out a monster. And uh, no, I, I find that movie to just be extremely rewatchable, both for its its sense of humor and it's just a, its examination of, of 
New York City and, and class and wealth in New York City. But you saying that uh, Wolf of Wall Street is your favorite movie makes me think of. Do you ever see that? Uh, There's a funny TikTok that was circulating around that was um, a bunch of people giving Barbie like awful ratings and then people checking what their top movie was. <laughs> yeah, and it was yes. like always The Godfather yeah. like, every single time. Yeah. I, I feel like Wolf of Wall Street's. I mean, it's a great movie. I'm not. It's a bash, film bro movie. I'm not bashing it. Yeah, it's definitely a film bro movie. Yeah. I'm not bashing your pick, but I just find it funny that you were like Wolf of Wall Street. I was like, that's such a film bro pick. Well, that's the thing. So many of his movies are film bro picks, right? Because even true. Goodfellas is also also a, a, a film bro, bro pick. pick. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the the Departed. I feel like if you saw that in somebody's yep. letterbox, you'd be like, mm, film bro. But it's undeniable, you know, like the the quality and. It's a good movie. I've seen it too many times now that I can't watch it anymore. Um, like, I, I think, if I think about it, I think I've seen that movie, like, at least six times. The Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah. Really? Because you're hanging out with, like, a group of guys. That's the first one everyone picks when yeah. they're like, let's watch a movie. Uh, we can watch Wolf of Wall Street or whatever. Like, I've, I've seen it with multiple groups of guys in different situations. <laughs> right. Um, but I, it is a good movie. Yeah. I... Do you know what I meant when I started the episode by calling him TikTok star Martin Scorsese? Oh, of course. All okay. the TikToks he's doing with his, uh, is it his niece his or daughter. His, his daughter. daughter. Yeah. Martin Scorsese has become viral recently for the TikToks he's, TikTok he's been making star. with his daughter, Francesca. And just a wholesome man. You know, every time I see him on my on my TikTok feed, whether he's talking about keeping cinema alive or he's doing like some sort of funny video with his daughter, I'm just like, this is the sweetest dude ever. And it's really funny that all of his movies are about dudes beating each other up dude his all of his movies are the alpha males going like i'm him for real for real i know he's so literally me <laughs> and i i think another funny thing uh, that i mentioned about his tiktoks i love how every single time i see him start his tiktoks he looks like he wants to burn the world like every single time he's just got the grumpiest face in the first like second of it and then yeah. it starts filming and he he like changes a little bit but it i find it so funny like his movie rankings and things. I'm like, what I wouldn't give to be on that couch hearing his thoughts on these movies that he's ranking. I agree. Yeah, I completely agree. What I, what I love the most about Marty is his dedication to not only his filmography and the type of stories he's interested in telling, but to keeping the art of movie going and the art of cinema alive. And there's no non pretentious way to like say that, but every time I see a video of him talking about new filmmakers and like, the, the future of movies. I find it so, so cool and so riveting. I read this article where he was talking about how he's finally figured out the type of stories that matter and the type of stories that he wants to tell with the rest of his life. But then he says, I'm out of time. I don't really have that time left to to not only see a way forward in, in cinema, but to tell many more stories. So I have to be like extremely selective with what I, what I spend my time on mm-hmm. because I'm almost out of it. First off, extremely sad, but also second off, very wise, you know, Mm -hmm. and every time I I see an interview with him, he's always just talking about the future of movie going is going to be a completely different thing. And I don't have any right to say what what is cool and what isn't and what's right and what's wrong. All I have is the ability to leave art that I hope lasts. And I just think that that's it's such an such an interesting perspective because a lot of old men in his situation in the industry are like movies are slipping away from us. Nobody cares about art anymore. And he's not that despite the fact that Marvel fanboys will have you believe that that's how he, how he thinks Mm -hmm. he's so intelligent and like, well, well spoken with how he talks about this stuff 
Um, what do you think about like Martin Scorsese's like dedication to cinema? Do you think that like his comments about Marvel, like I guess what I'm trying to ask you. Yeah, that's a big question. Yeah, I know it's a very, loaded question. I guess what I'm trying to ask you here is like he caught a lot of flack for his comments about Marvel. Where do you fall on like that kind of debate? I think, I think Martin Scorsese's like I think he's totally right. I think that um, to be totally honest, Marvel these days has not been doing it for me. Mm-hmm. And it's very much turning into there's no heart in that anymore. It's just money. So having a guy who is dedicated to cinema and is like, well, I'm running out of time, so I want to do the movies I want to do and just share the stories I want to share. Yeah, go for it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, bash on Marvel because none of those people want to make those movies. The the CEOs at Marvel want to make those movies. Um, not the directors and not the filmmakers. None of those people want to make those movies, even if they might sound like it. They're just there for the money. Yeah. Um, and you've got, I will say, you've got a couple directors who do actually want to make that stuff, but most of the time, it's just there. They're just there for the bag. Yeah. And Martin Scorsese clearly isn't there for the bag. He never was, and he never will be. He's just there to make movies. So. Yeah. Like that's all that matters to him is keeping this art form alive. Yeah. And. Interestingly enough, he's never actually like bashed Marvel the way that like people may lead you to believe with their, all their headlines and everything like that. All he said is like those are theme park rides. Yeah, and that's true. Like he's never said they're garbage and you're stupid if you like it. All he's ever said is like not really for me. Those are more for like people who just want to like shut their brain off a little bit. Mm-hmm. And like he's not wrong. So yeah. like the fact that people reacted so negatively, and again like this the whole discourse of like Martin Scorsese hates Marvel is like kind of tired and like played out but i feel like it is relevant to the conversation because like you have a whole generation of people now who are like growing up with the idea that he's just an old man yelling at the clouds and he doesn't he doesn't want movies to to exist and i'm like that's a very silly approach well i think conversation i think the issue now too so much is like back when martin scorsese was really making movies like really in his stride um people knew the directors of movies you know, I think nowadays no one really knows because if you asked anyone who directed um, like most most any Marvel movie, they'd be like a uh, Marvel. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like and I mean, it's I do the same thing, too. I'm so bad with directors and names and like all that kind of stuff. I'm just really bad with it because so many movies get pumped out these days and so much of it is uh, like so much of it is just like nonsense where people are trying to get the bag, you know. Um, and so I, I don't think I pay attention to directors as closely as people probably used to. Mm-hmm. Um, cause when you have things like Steven Spielberg or people like Steven Spielberg and stuff, like when Jaws came out in the theaters, people knew Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Like that was, you knew it was him. But these days, like probably half the people who watched Killers of the Flower Moon didn't even realize it was Scorsese until somebody told them. Right. You know? Like, so. I feel like the few directors that people will, like, know by name and, like, see that they put out a new movie and, like, freak out is, like, Scorsese, Tarantino, and, like, Fincher. Yeah. Those are, like, the three. Where I wouldn't even say Fincher. Yeah. Like, he's lost that in the last, like, ten years. Unless you're, yeah. like, really into this stuff the way that I am and, and you are. But, like, um, people people just don't have that same recognition to that kind of kind of thing. I think the, the other thing, too, is the companies aren't – no, no uh, movie company is branding it as – well, they they do it sometimes with like the next Scorsese film when it's got like a legacy director that kind of thing. But when you just have new directors popping up, it's never a new film brought to you by director's name. 
they never do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just all about the franchise. Yeah. So and actually, Killers of the Flower Moon didn't do great at the box office. That makes sense given its length. Yeah. Um, but like, it's interesting that both Apple TV had a Martin Scorsese movie and um, Netflix had a David Fincher movie, just extremely underpromoted. Both those movies kind of shrugged aside by their respective streaming services. Mm-hmm. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, though, for me, was one of my most anticipated movies of the year. Just like once I saw that first trailer, I was like strapped in. I was like, let's fucking let's go. Um, and honestly, I don't I, I didn't find it disappointed. I really enjoyed it. Um, it feels a bit to me like a deconstruction of a Western movie. Like it's like Martin Scorsese was like, after all this time, I'm finally going to do a Western movie. You know, like the gunslinging, awesome, cool cowboys. And instead we get these just vile, abominable cowards well, as I, our leads. It was really interesting. I was just reading um, about how uh, Martin Scorsese kind of describes it as, uh, like, like you said, he's trying to make a Western movie, but a Western movie built within the confines of uh, like politics and the oil industry and mm-hmm. like all these things that confine it to. It's not gunslinging like rules are out the window anymore. Um, it's different. And you can see that too with a lot of characters that we come across, like people who are still thinking it's, are still trying to live that way um, as America's getting uh, revolutionized and industrialized and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I totally agree that it's a, decon- it's a, kind of like a deconstructed cowboy film. Even down to like, instead of the cool cigarette smoking John Wayne as our lead character, we have Leonardo DiCaprio, who's one of the most beloved actors in the industry. But he plays it just an absolute loser in this yeah. movie, right? Dummy. Yeah, so it feels like he's just breaking down the archetypes of not only the characters, but the, the world that those movies are set in. Mm-hmm. Um, before going any for, any forward, what did you think of Killers of the Flower Moon? I thought it was good. Um, to be totally honest, I don't know how to sum this movie up. I know. It's I one, really don't know. It's and one I, that we've taken our time with because like, we saw the movie a month ago. Here we are just now recording the podcast for not it. Even, not even that. Just like to sum it up in what did I like? I really couldn't tell you because there's so many aspects of this film that just made me intrigued. It made me think less of like, oh, I really love this scene or I really love that scene. It's more of like, I really like the themes that are happening here. So I thought it was a very good movie. Um, it's it's a little too long for my liking, but I still did enjoy it a lot, and I thought it was a very thought-provoking movie. Um, and I, I do something I something I really enjoy is watching historical movies that don't glorify um, the main character, regardless of who they are. Mm-hmm. Like it's just this movie very much is a accurate retelling of some of the horrible things that happened in American history to na- the native people of the land. Yeah. Like it's that's just it. Uh, and I, I really do appreciate that because I think sometimes movies are a bit too fantastical and people forget that they can also just be stories about the things that happen all over the world um, and oftentimes the horrible things that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it makes us reflect and it allows us to think unlike Marvel movies where we turn our brains off for an hour and a half. Right. I, actually, I like what you said about the idea that like, this movie doesn't really have any particular scenes where I'm like, oh, this was great. And it's interesting because he's a film, he's a director who like, he's known for like his scenes, you know, like you can, mm-hmm. I'm sure if you, if you dig through your memory and start I'm sure digging you, up on the Martin Scorsese movies, there's particular scenes that'll stick with you. I think if I just say the Goodfellas scene, most people know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I totally agree. He's he's very known for like having iconic scenes, but yeah, this movie very much was just like I I mean there is one scene I can think of which is the very ending, but even then I'm like that has so much weight from everything else that's happened in the movie, like it's hard to just pick out one scene. Yeah. And I feel like he's like the master of like needle drops and like snazzy stylish filmmaking, you know, like so much of his greatest scenes are set to these big loud songs where you're just seeing some crazy shit happen. And this is not that at all. Like this is a very like quiet muted movie that almost feels like he's taking what people knew him as, as a film filmographer throughout their lives, like 30 years, 40 years and just like breaking it down. Like he's, he's like, you know what a Martin Scorsese movie is? This is not that I'm going to do something completely different and play around with some of the things that I've learned through my career and then do something entirely new with it um because this is more like a thematic like study rather than it is a movie where you're like oh i loved the part where blank did blank you know um again going back to what i had mentioned this is a very like heavy story and it follows the the real life tragedies of the osage murders from the 1910s to the 1930s in which 60 plus osage native americans who received a large sum of wealth after mass amounts of oil was discovered on tribal land were murdered and then their murders subsequently covered up so that their white partners could inherit all their money as the sole remaining member of, of the family. Mm-hmm. It's a very disturbing tale in American history that I feel like is like not talked about at all, which again goes back to a lot of history's I mean, treatment towards indigenous people in particular, but like in black people and, and in general, but like th- I just found it so interesting. Cause like the more I looked into it, this is like a pivotal moment in America's history. And you don't see people talking about it very often because history is written by the victors. Yeah. Exactly. Why would any of the white people ever say anything about that? Yeah. But this is this is the events that like actually led to the creation of the FBI. So oh, really? It's, yeah. And I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about the book and, and stuff. But it's just very interesting that the very pivotal events in, in America's history, and as often is the case, it was just kind of completely brushed under the rug. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. This story's approach has led to some mixed reactions largely in regards to the fact that Scorsese chooses to center the film not from the Osage perspective, but from the perspective of the two main orchestrators of the crimes, William Hale, played by Robert De Niro, and Ernest Burkhardt, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. What do you make of the decision to tell this story this way? Because it's so important to have our main character be the villain. Yeah. That is a key part about this, because like I just said, history is written by the victors, so why not have the victors be the main character because yes we could totally have it on the osage side but then it's just sad that is all it is it's sad because our main main characters they're dying Mm -hmm. uh but having it as through the villain's eyes it's an interesting look because um something that i really thought was uh really cool was the way that Ernest leonardo cabrio's character is walks that line of good and bad because so much of the stuff he does is awful, but he's too dumb to think of any of it, and it all comes from William. And so it's like, is he? Uh, he's our and our protagonist, right? Is he the good guy? No. Is he the bad guy? Well, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's more thought provoking. It's more interesting. It's more exciting, and it also too gives us a chance to really paint these people as fucking awful yeah like it allows us to connect with a character who is horrible 
you know? And that's, I think that's so important because if it was from the other side, instead of understanding, uh, the, where all this is coming from and why it's happening, we would just be left with a bitter taste in our mouth because we just watched a bunch of people die, Mm -hmm. you know, like good, innocent people. And I'm not saying that, that, uh, having Leo as our main character diminishes those deaths at all. It doesn't. It actually makes them more interesting because we're seeing it from the side of the people who are committing the murders. Right. And we're seeing their thought process and we're seeing the way that they're seeing this and the way that they're thinking. Um, and so I think it's, I think it would have been not as uh, thought provoking if it had been from the Osage perspective. I think I hear the argument both ways. Cause like when people, are saying, I wish this movie had more of the perspective and more of the story from the Osage people, and I wish it spent a little bit more time with them. Um, I get that, and I, I completely hear that, and and I do agree to to a certain point, but I also agree with you um, that like this the story is made more interesting by being on the villain's side and kind of like watching them snake their way into their lives. You know, like these people aren't aren't suspecting of this evil that is kind of like. It's, it's really like the wolf in sheep's clothes story. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that it's made all the more interesting because of the fact that you have these people slowly infiltrating and you know they're bad. And as we as viewers know they're bad, but the characters in the movie don't know they're bad. Mm-hmm. And so we're we're aware of something that the characters aren't throughout the movie that I find makes like this, this really tense, interesting dynamic. And the story from the Osage perspective would be a great movie. It's also just a completely different movie. Mm-hmm. That's a movie that has different ambitions and different goals. And I think this one's very forward in the fact that it's telling this story as a reckoning of America's history told from the people who committed the atrocities. Yeah. Like as much of it is, as it is a story about the Osage people and what happened to them. It's also a story about, uh, recognizing things that got buried in the history of America. Mm hmm. Um, and that has not only happened in America, it's happened all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's very important that we dig these stories up and call out our ancestors for being such assholes. Yeah, true. But I do think that there's, there's something interesting there as a viewer throughout the film when, you, when you're put into these shoes of people that you don't really want to be in the shoes of. And then the people who are actually deserving of, of the empathy and the care and the attention are kind of brushed aside. Mm-hmm. And... Like historically, obviously not okay, but from a filmmaking perspective, I, I think it, it makes the movie a little bit more interesting. Yeah, definitely a, a filmmaker choice from Scorsese and a smart one at it. Yeah, I also I do want to say like I think it's important that people have the opportunity to tell their own stories. Um, do I think that people with lived experience are the only people capable of telling those stories? No, but I, I do think I I would be interested in seeing like a movie or this movie from the perspective of an Osage filmmaker or like an indigenous filmmaker. Um, But I'm also, I'm really glad that Martin Scorsese worked with Osage people to get not only the historical elements right, but the character dynamics in the script as well. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the idea of like, should Scorsese be allowed to direct this movie? Yes. Yeah. Of course. Especially when he's coming at it with such like grace and, and, and care to, to telling the story histo- historically accurate and getting it right. You are talking about a man who is trying to not only tell a story that got buried uh, in history and actually represent the Osage people properly, but you're also talking about a guy who is known for telling stories 
why, why about America's history? About America's history. Yeah. And I, I think yeah, of course he worked with the people. Like he he didn't come at this after just reading the book, you know? Right. Like he did his research, you know? And I think that's the difference. People people call people out so many times for being like, It's not your story to tell, it's not your story to tell. Yeah, sure it isn't, but if you've got the platform to do it, why wouldn't you? Um and and there are there are so many the spectrum is so broad for the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. Scorsese did it correctly. Yeah. And I don't care what anyone else thinks, he did it correctly. Yeah. He approached it with, with a real like grace and like a real compassion to, to telling the story right. Not even that, but he approached it with a understanding that this is a story that white people got rid of. And so it's it's almost a bit of reconciliation in the sense that he wanted to share this story and he wanted to get it out there and sure anyone could have made this movie but a great film director like martin scorsese uh allowing like we talked about he talked about how he uh or like you mentioned he talked about how he is very like picky with his movies now because he can't he only wants the ones he really wants to tell clearly this is a story he really wanted to tell Mm -hmm. you know and he did his research and he did a good job with it yeah agreed well said this movie actually initially started as a direct adaptation of the book um, Killers of the Flower Moon and the Birth of the FBI is what it's called. And when he was originally working on the movie, before he kind of like retooled it and realized, he was telling the story from the perspective of Tom White, which is the Jesse Plemons FBI agent character who shows up in the third act of this movie. Mm-hmm. And the original telling of the story was fully from his perspective uh, and the FBI's perspective on this. And I think that would have been a mistake. Yeah. That's um, a different movie. I, that's a completely different movie, and that's a movie that isn't about movie. America's reconciliation with its atrocities. That's that's about the FBI and yeah. a bunch of white dudes being like, "We're gonna figure this out." Mm-hmm. Um, I think he he had actually he said specifically that once he, you know, looked into the story more and he he researched it more and he spent more time with it, he realized that the heart of the story and the core of the story is Ernest and Molly Burkhart, and without them, you don't really have a movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that was wise, and I think that that's a good take. What did you think about, before we talk about the performance itself, what did you think about the love story between Molly and Ernest Burkhart? Because it's a very complicated one in regards to the fact that it's a, a, a murder scheme, but it's also an interesting one because it is a love story. And like that, I, I feel like it's reductive to paint it another way because that's so much of the film's runtime is this love story before it ultimately becomes and is something completely different. Before I answer this, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you think she ac- he actually loved her? Yes. Really? Yeah. Why? Um, it... Because the reason why I'm asking this question is because when I thought about it, you know, I get that he had a crush on her, but I remember William Hale egg- egging him on and being like, you should. You should definitely talk to this lady. You should definitely start dating her. Like, I, I get that he probably does have some love for her, but I wonder how much of it is his and how much of it was William Hale's idea. You know? And I and the reason why I ask, did he actually love her, is because I remember so many moments in the movie, too, where he seemed unhappy. Like, he loved Molly when things were easy. But when things he also, get hard, he doesn't... He He crumples under the pressure he i feel like he loved molly before he was murdering her entire family Mm. you know ultimately i think this does go back to a a point that we had already a little bit touched on which is like his character the man ernest burkhart is just an idiot and a a coward in a coward Mm -hmm. like he's too afraid 
to actually just say, I love this woman and I don't want to harm her family. Instead, he gets embroiled in this giant murder story because he's too much of a coward to just not harm the people she loves. Mm -hmm. You know, like someone tells him to do something and he does it. He's like a little lap dog. Mm -hmm. And I think that applies both to his marriage with Molly, but also to his direction from from William Hale. Um, I think it's a good question. I got the impression that there was genuine love there, Hmm. Um, even if it's the most twisted love story out there, you know? Yeah, to answer your question, I thought it was effective. Um, There were parts where I didn't really feel it, you know? Like, I think their chemistry is okay. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think some scenes between Leo and... Actress name's Lily, right? Lily Gladstone, yeah. Lily Gladstone, yeah. Um, I think the chemistry was kind of there, but there was definitely scenes where I just didn't feel it. Sure. Um, So I I think it's... uh, I definitely agree that it is the heart of the whole story. Did it work for me all the time? Not really. And I think that's also partially because they are opposing forces. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, It's literally oil and water. Yeah. You know, like represented on screen. Literally. (laughs) Wow, yeah. Yeah. But, um... I found it to be really effective. I would agree with you that there was times where I was like, is the chemistry lacking or is this an intentional character thing? Yeah. It's like hard to pick, you know, it's hard to tell if it's like meant to be cold because of the fact that she's slowly getting colder towards him due to not, she's not aware of what he's doing, but she can tell that there's been a rift kind of put between them Yeah, since he starts murdering everybody she knows. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I found the love story to be really compelling in regards to, like, how do you love someone while simultaneously ripping their life apart, you yeah. know? Um, and I think that Leo, as an actor, really help helps that story beat shine, where you just... Mm-hmm. It's not even that you see confusion or, like, him being torn about the things he's doing, because he actually does it pretty easily. It's the aftermath that you can that you can really see on him. I think it's the way it kind of whittles him down to, to nothing. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree, and I think it also, too, is the absence of confusion. The fact that he doesn't think anything through. He thinks that he can actually, like, that there there's nothing wrong with murdering her entire family and still loving her. No, I think the difference is he knows that there is nothing wrong. He just hasn't thought of it yet. Right. You know, it took him some time to figure it out. Yeah. Um, And when he did, it was too late. Right. Like, he knew. And, and you can tell, too, because, um, like, when... Uh, Hale is like, start use, adding this to her insulin to slow her down. He knows that it's wrong, but he just hasn't realized why it's wrong yet. Right. He hasn't put two and two together yet. Um, and even if he has, his brain hasn't come up with the answer yet because yeah. it's just too slow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I it's and it, I think it's interesting, too, how, like, I think there were definitely moments where I was almost angry with Ernest. Because of his stupidity. Um, I'm like, you have a great wife. A gr- you, you could have a great life, but you're so dumb and you're so easily manipulated that you're literally killing yourself. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the two of them together, it, it's definitely the heart of the movie, but I definitely, the chemistry was weird at times. And I, like you're saying, I don't know if that's intentional or not. Right. But- Leo's character in this movie is like watching someone shoot themselves in the foot and then get confused why they can't walk. It's like, yeah, it's like watching somebody shoot themselves in the foot and then shooting themselves in the other foot to even it out. Yeah, and be like, maybe now I'll be able to. Maybe now it's okay. Yeah, maybe that'll help. Um, 
let's talk a little bit about the performances more at large because yeah this is like a tour de force of acting this movie we've got leonardo dicaprio robert de niro lily gladestone and then we get jesse plemons who shows up in the third act and he's very good but he's not a key part of the movie hot take i think jesse plemons sucks i hate him whoa really yeah i hate him really yeah i thought you were joking for a minute no i like the dude is so dry uh he reminds me of the Sahara. You don't think he's good in Breaking Bad? I think he's As good Todd. in Breaking Bad in Todd because he's a throwaway character. And then when he... I disagree. Todd's like the main villain of the final season. He's like... Todd's like a weak-ass villain of the final season. Yeah. The villain of the final season is Walt's own decisions. Um, That's true. Walt is his own villain. Anywho, but he he's fine as the younger version. When he comes back in uh, El Camino, ass. Uh, him in... Um, okay. whatever that fucking weird ass movie about pigs and whatever, uh, I'm thinking of ending I'm thinking things. Of things. Awful. Him <laughs> in this is okay, but he is just so dry as a person right. that it irks me when I see him on screen. Cause I'm like, you feel like, um, it feels like when you have a conversation with someone that just kind of fades away and you don't know whether or not to continue it or not. <laughs> like it just, it's constantly awkward whenever he is there. Right. I, yeah, I don't like him. I feel like everybody has an actor that they just kind of hate. He's, he's, ugh, I don't like him at all. Yeah, I get that. I, I'm a, I'm a fan. So it's interesting to hear, hear your, that opinion, but um, I can't, I can't argue that he is dry. He's extremely dry. So I, I won't try and, and fight back on that. Um, but yeah, the three leads of the movie, um, what do you let's go through performance performance or like each performance for a minute here we've talked a little bit about Leo mm-hmm. what do you think makes him so good in this movie as an actor because he's Leonardo DiCaprio yeah done okay fair I, enough I really have nothing else to say other than he is a great actor and he's been doing this for years and he knows how to make a character good I like, think he knows how to really touch on the complexities of a character in a simple way that eventually leads to something bigger Right. If that makes any sense. Like, he's really good at taking those little things about characters um, and bringing them to life and making, turning himself not into Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, I never see him as Leonardo DiCaprio. I always see him as whatever character he's playing because he's just so good at really becoming that person. I agree. And that's, yeah. I actually, my thoughts on his performance in this movie and why I think it's so interesting in, in the larger scope of his filmography is that. Leo always plays a character with some like subtleties and some nuances. Like he's almost always, you know, when he's Jordan Belfort, he's the most outsized, loud personality, but he's also a very small man, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that there's like with each one of his performances, you can pick out these things where it's like he plays the character a certain way, but the character deep down is, is a different way. What I think is so interesting about his performance as Ernest is like he plays him straight to the page. Like, Ernest is an idiot, and he's not a lot deeper than that. And I think that's why the character actually works, is because, like, in my opinion, I don't think there's a lot of nuance in this man. I think he's just a bit of a dumbass. And I think Leo kind of just plays him as a, as a dumbass, and I think that makes the character really effective. You know, I think the dumbassness of him is the nuance. Think about it. Try playing a character who does shitty things but doesn't realize they're shitty. You know? Like, there's nuance in that, mm-hmm. of being able to play a character who... Um, is just like failing in every aspect of life, but doesn't realize they're failing, and it just continues to move forward. You know, mm-hmm. um, I but I totally get what you're saying. Like he, he, this character is a pretty blunt character. Yeah. Um, there's not a whole lot. Like what you see is what you get. Yeah. With him. Yeah. Um, but I think there is nuance in 
playing a character who is that stupid and not having an internal monologue and having to shut off that part and be like, I'm just going to do what this person says. And I'll do what this person says. Yeah. This person's smart. I'll do what they say. Yeah. He's kind of just the, the face of each scene, you know, like he's, he's the gopher. Yeah, exactly. Like he there's all the these gopher. other complex emotions that other characters are navigating with, but Ernest is just kind of there and he's, he's just, just doing what he's asked to. And so it makes Leo a very different presence than he usually is. Cause usually he's such a demanding, like, and captivating presence. And I actually found in this movie, um, every other character is more interesting than him. And I don't think that's yeah. a knock on Leo. I think that's exactly what the role asked for. But I just find it interesting that he's just kind of there in the background of scenes and it's Leonardo fucking DiCaprio and Lily Gladstone's like 10 times more interesting than him, you know? Um, so I, I found that to be like an interesting both writing and acting choice. Mm. No, I totally agree. And after Leo moving on to Robert De Niro, what did you think of his performance in this movie? Because Great. So he's good. a, I mean, Robert De Niro's played evil dudes and stuff, but this is like a particularly evil dude. I think Robert De Niro does his role really good because this is a particularly evil dude who will stick to his guns till the end. Yeah. You know? He'll never admit he was wrong. He'll never admit he was wrong. Um, and I think his character is so smart. It's so well written. Um, because, of course, if you believe in something hard enough, it becomes the truth. And for a long time it was. He, uh, like we see in the movie, he is a good friend to all the Osage people. Um, and has been for a long time. Um, and that's not a lie. Uh, even the Osage people believed it um, until the very end when they find out he committed all these awful things and does all this bad stuff. Um, but it's such an interesting character to see because he's a guy who is trying to make a play for power he doesn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, in the way, in a, like a way where he thinks that he can be friends with everyone and somehow get all the power at the same time. You know, like... He is so close to the Osage people, he thinks of himself as one. Um, but when he doesn't get the same benefits that they do and the same uh, like great things that they do, he gets upset. He's like, how about I just kill them all then? How about I just kill them so I get the money? Yeah, because they liked me, so obviously I'm going to get the money as well. Um, exactly. Going back to a specific term that I had mentioned earlier in the episode, which is wolf in sheep's clothes. Mm-hmm he is like the the representation of that. Oh yeah. You know, like I think his character has so many disgusting traits to him. He is really a vile man, but he puts on this mask of like, I'm a, I'm a good friend to all these people. And like yeah. you said, he is, he is meant in his own mind, but all, his actions don't line up with that. But that's the only, the action we've seen in the movie. Like right. He says in the he says before that, and a lot of the Osage people also say how much he's helped the community, how much he cares about people. He's the sheriff of the town. Everyone trusts him. Yeah. So that means he must have built that trust from somewhere. He must have had years of like becoming friends with these people, all in this huge plot to eventually get their money. Because he would have if uh if Ernest had gone through with everything and killed everyone and then he killed Ernest. Or even if he didn't kill Ernest, he would still be entitled to some of that money. So, and he would probably manipulate Ernest in giving it to him. Is it – can you call it friendship, though, if he has this plan? Because in, in my opinion, that's just manipulation. Yeah, but, man, how many friends have you had that stabbed you in the back? Yeah, okay, true. I think everyone can call, count a friend or two that they thought was friends. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. friend – I'm saying friend in the past tense. Right. I'm not saying that he was always and continued to be a friend of theirs. Right. He 
believed that he always and continued to be, but there was a period before that we don't see where he is a genuine friend of these people, even if he has malicious intent behind it. Yeah. He does do things that helps the community and those people. Am I saying that makes him a good person? Hell no. Right. I'm just saying that he did do like some good for those people, even if it did have malicious intent. I know what it. you mean. Yeah. And I, he also, he also posts like a $10,000 bail or, or $10,000 reward for whoever finds the killers of uh, the people that he is killing. Yeah. Nobody's going to get or, the or reward, whatever. you know? No, yeah. And he knew that right. because he then ends up killing all those people. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And all this to say, like, I think that's why his character is so interesting and so compelling. He's, Really, like, he's the orchestrator of all this. And so many people died untimely, cruel, horrifying deaths because of him. Mm-hmm. And yet, here he is at the center of this movie. You're looking at a you're looking at a cowboy who's trying to fit into the industrial world. Yeah. You know? He's very much like... I think he is also a good representation of that idea of the lawless um, cowboy like western that used to be around the way that world's fading the way the world's fading and he is trying to fit into this new world yeah can't quite do it Mm -hmm. well said yeah Mm. i mean his whole plot relies on racial injustice and in his mind it's he's just a a cowboy just trying to make a buck in this world you know Mm. and it's just an evil man that De Niro plays with such like intelligence and sorry intelligence isn't the right word but he plays him with such like he's so calculated and, and like quiet, you know. Like the character's so nuanced. I would say intelligence is a is a good yeah. word for it because I think it's a very clear divide of Ernest is the idiot and Hale is the smart one. Yeah, like, he's the one who planned everything. Yes. Ernest is the one acting on it. He's the mastermind behind. He's the puppet master behind the puppet. Yeah. You know, um, I I do think he is a very smart man. Agreed. Sadly, he uses that smartness to kill people, but. He's definitely a smart guy. Yeah. And just De Niro is one of the greatest actors still alive. Incredible. And I think that this is really in his pantheon of great performances for me. Like, when I think about roles from him, he's uh, he's got so many good ones. But this is going to stick for in, in my mind for a while, I think. Because mm-hmm. he's played a lot of bad guys, but this is the most interesting bad guy I think he's played. Yeah, I would totally agree. I think I, it's definitely the most interesting and definitely the most thought-provoking, too. Yeah. You know, a lot of his other bad guys are like, he's a he's a gangster. Yeah, And exactly. don't fuck with him, he'll shoot you. But this one is, is a lot deeper than that, and it's a, a lot more complex, mm-hmm. which I think makes him so interesting. Which leads us to Lily Gladstone as uh, as Molly Burkhart, mm-hmm. an actress I was completely un- unfamiliar with, I think. Maybe aside from like a small role I'd seen her in or something before, but I, I didn't know her very well before. Yeah, I'm currently just looking up to see if I know any of the other movies she's been in. Nope. It doesn't sound like she has a very big filmography. I'd imagine that will change very quickly after mm-hmm. this movie. But um, what, what did you think of Lily Gladstone? Because she's, I, I think, the one that everybody comes away from saying, like, she's the heart of the movie. Yeah, I totally agree. I definitely think she's the heart of the movie. And she does a really good job, too, at um, being that heart and being that very uh, – she, like, shows the spiritual side of uh, the Osage people, and she shows a great example is that – um, and I've heard this talked about, and I can't really talk about it, uh, but the rain scene where it's mm-hmm. raining and she says, just be quiet and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like, I, I I understand that the giving back to the land and only taking what is needed is such a huge thing um, about 
native culture and that kind of thing. And so to have a scene where you've got these uh, different worldviews of Ernest, who is just like a white guy, went to war. Dumb motor mouth. Dumb motor mouth mm-hmm. versus a well-thought, well-spoken um indigenous person of the land and it's just like such an interesting contrast so i i definitely think she is so much of the heart and even in those scenes too when she's like laying in the bed and just suffering from the diabetes um she is still such an interesting character the moments where she's like she like knows that Ernest is putting something in her medicine like Mm -hmm. she knows it um but Ernest just like throws it off as like it's just the medication it's making you think that way i promise i promise all this stuff she is definitely um uh a lot of the heart and also a force to be reckoned with in this movie absolutely like she's the reason why the fbi come to town because she goes and talks to uh whatever the whatever the president's name is um at the time and she she's the reason why those the murders start to get investigated yeah um and it's only because of her that william gets found out yeah so his it would have went on for years until he had you know who knows what would have happened if otherwise i i think you're right i think she is like the empathy for the audience she is the face of of the indigenous culture for like indigenous people who are watching this movie yeah not only not only the osage but also just like i think she um and i don't know if this was intentional but i definitely felt it as very much a a uh, a representation of somebody who is getting getting back isn't the right word i'm looking for but like um standing against just like the white people that ruined so many of these people's lives and homes and families and all this stuff yeah um i i I see her as is as much as she is yes a, a uh representation of the osage people but i feel like she is also kind of representing that the the overarching American history that is horrible and has buried so much of this stuff showing this person who is standing against it. And again, like tying it back to like the land that we are on too. Like I feel like so many people, not obviously not just in Nova Scotia, but really any, any indigenous people who watch this movie will be able to see not just the atrocities of the Osage, but the atrocities that their, their family have gone through through this character, I think. And I think that she's so powerful despite being so reserved and I think that makes her such an interesting character because she's quiet, but well, she's not like or she doesn't speak a lot, but she's not quiet. You know what I mean? I think it's a great example. It's a great difference between her and Ernest. Um, is there's a there's an interesting quote? I'm gonna totally butcher it, but it's kind of along the lines of uh, the smartest people know when to stop talking, um, in the sense that she is well thought and well articulated, and she knows when to speak and when to not speak. And sometimes not speaking gives you the advantage. Yeah. Because the longer Ernest motors his mouth along, blah, 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 he fucks it up for himself. Yeah. Um, so I think that's also a very cool comparison between the two characters. Agreed. I also think Lily Gladestone gets the scene. And we were talking earlier about how Martin Scorsese movies usually have a lot of scenes that stick with you. And yeah, this movie this has... be the scene. Yeah, the scene is the one where... She asks him, you know, obviously spoilers, and if you've listened this far, we've spoiled quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah but um, it's it's the pivotal scene at the ending where she asks Ernest to just admit to it. Mm-hmm. And you can see he kind of goes to do it for a minute, and then he's like, no, I didn't. And then she gets up and leaves. And that's it. And that's it. It's a very, like, somber moment, but it's, it's 
so good. This is my. I say this. I think. I think I've said this every single episode. It's the show don't tell rule. Of course. It's. I just. I've started to realize that it's one of my favorite things in movies. Is when movies show me and don't tell me, and I figure it out myself. We don't need to have her go off to somebody else and be like, Ernest is a fucking liar. No, we not already know that. that. We don't even need her. We don't even need her to um, say to Ernest, "I know you're lying." Right. The fact she gets up and leaves, we know that she knows that he is lying. Yeah. Um, that's all we need to see, uh, because if she didn't think that he was lying, she would have stayed. Yeah. You know, it's a gut punch of a scene. She is high up in the Oscar race. I would, I, from what I've heard of early whisperings of hope. it, I would hope. Yeah. I've, I've heard, you know, just from the conversations, I get really invested in this, in this Oscar stuff and everyone I talk to about the Oscars are like, Lily Gladstone is going to be fucking dangerous in, in that leading actress. And they made the smart decision too. I hope it's the smart decision. I hope it's not too stacked of a category, but they made the smart decision to put her in best leading actress, not best supporting actress. Oh yeah. Um, which I think, you know, she is kind of like a supporting actress in the movie, but again, she's the heart of the movie. She is like where all the audience's sympathies and empathies towards the story kind of lie. I would say she's the leading actress of the Osage story. Absolutely. And I would say Ernest is the leading actor of the awful white people story. True. Yeah. Do you feel like this movie doesn't do enough with the with the Osage story. I know it's it's three and a half hours, so there's surely plenty of time. We've already I think we've already touched on this, but I what I'll kind of say about it is just that um they're two different stories. If we did a perspective from the Osage people, that's a different movie. Right. Than yeah okay. doing the perspective from mm-hmm. uh Ernest's point of view. Agreed. I feel like we get a lot through her character as well. Yeah, and I I mean I would have loved to see more, but this is movies are three and a half hours long. Yeah, there's not there's not time to do more. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Um And I think too, I mean, while we're talking about it, I will just mention I think that's my only downside to this movie is how long it is. Yeah, this was the next point I was gonna bring up actually. Yeah. We Hayden and I were talking about this and when I was trying to think about this movie, so much of the middle just disappears from my brain because it's so long. And when I when I think of the stuff that is kind of boring to me, it was the times when like Ernest and William Hale are having conversations with these guys who are killing the other members. Like they're having these full on conversations of, will you do it? And the guy's like, I don't do that anymore. And there's like, they're like, we'll give you money. And the guy's like, um, maybe who is it? And I'm like, ah, like that's, it's dragging on a little bit too much. That being said, I don't know what I'd cut out, you know? Uh huh. But that stuff is still really important to the movie as much as I'm kind of just like, we don't need this here. And like, ultimately it is the period in the film where I'm like, this doesn't need to be three and a half hours. Despite the fact that the first and third act of the movie, I'm like, this is all like, we're not cutting any of this. I, I don't, I do agree with you. I don't think there's much we could cut despite the fact that that stuff does drag a bit. Yeah. I, that's my only thing is like, I feel like, and that's also partially me. Like, once you hit the three-hour mark of a movie, I question why, you know? And then when you hit the three-and-a-half-hour mark, I'm questioning why, but also, like, kind of bored. Because I've yeah. been sitting there for so long. Um, that being said, very interesting story, and I still did really like the movie. I think that's the only thing that would take anything off of it. It's just the, the three-and-a-half-hour runtime, and I know... People are like, Wesley, you like movies. You you love movies. I do. You don't like long movies. Though. I don't like long movies. This is this has been known, at least to me, like recently I've really discovered like you're not a fan of when filmmakers will hold you hold you hostage. Yeah, I don't like it because uh then 
I think the longer your movie is, the more I wonder why it's this long. You know? Like, if a movie is an hour and 40 minutes and tells a cohesive story incredibly, I'm like, amazing. That's all you needed. Because there's a difference between taking that time to tell a story that needs the time and taking that time because you can. Yeah. You know? Do you I feel think, like this movie's taking time because it can, though, or because it needs it? I think it's taking it because it needs it, but also because Mar- that's Martin Scorsese. I think it's a little bit of both because I know he likes his longer movies. And especially I know he recently. Likes, especially recently. Yeah. And I know he likes to tell his stories, and I think that he tells them really well, and I think that so much of it is important, but and it's really just comes down to a personal thing. I don't like long movies. I like movies that um, – say what they need to say and don't fill time for anything do yeah. i think this movie's filling time no uh but it's that's just me being like uh it was so long that i kind of forget the middle of the movie it does enter a bit of a groove though in that second half of the movie where it's just like murder another murder yeah it's like another murder that people goes, talk about the murder it's like murder insulin shot murder insulin shot like it's just yeah. back and forth for a solid 40 minutes yeah and i'm like mm, this is dragon lol once jesse plemons shows up in, that, in yeah, the third it, act the movie's like up up and away like it, the, that pacing is super amazing but there is a bit of a period after that first act where i'm like yeah this is a lot of the same uh-huh. it's never bad and it's all important to the story they're telling the, there has to be a lot of murders because there was a lot of murders in history mm-hmm. but i know what you mean I do think that, like, when you get to, like, the fifth murder in the second hour of the movie, I'm like, hmm. Yeah, it's just, like, sometimes it just gets repetitive, you know? I th- And I think uh, we talked about this uh, with Killers, too. The Killer, I mean. Um, th- how, like, it, when it gets into, like, kind of monotonous routine, it kind of bores me at times. Um, but, like, like I said, it's it's a long movie. I don't know what I would cut out. I don't know if I would take any time out of it. But it, it just that length is what gets me. I think if it was three hours, it could. I think it, it, it might think be it, a more digestible watch. I think it could be three hours. I'm yeah. sure you could find thirty minutes to cut out of that. Three hours and nine minutes or something. You know, exactly. <laughs> it feels like an oddly specific but good runtime for it. Um, yeah. No, I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, this is by far the longest movie I've ever seen in a movie theater, though. Is yeah. it for you too? Like, yeah. I feel like Endgame's like a close second. It is, uh, but yeah, this one was definitely the longest movie I've ever watched in a theater. Yeah, we came close to going to the theaters to seeing uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King, an extended Ooh. cut. We were going to go see that in theaters. Didn't work out. Feel like it's all right that it didn't work out because that's four hours and ten minutes. Mm-hmm. And like, I just think at that point, I don't want to be in a movie theater anymore. Yeah. And I do love doing a double feature, but the thing about a double feature is like you get out of the theater. You get to walk around. You, you have get yourself. Yeah. You have a sec. You can collect your fucking bearings before it's like, all right, more movie. And when you're when you're just stuck there and it's like, I can't go pee or else I'm going to miss something. I can't get more snacks because I don't have time. Yeah. You just start to get a little restless. I think, I think, too, that's another reason why we took so long to do this episode. Because there's just so much to talk about. There's so much stuff in this movie. Um, and it's all important. But holy shit, is there a lot of it. Yeah. Um, like if we had went beat for beat for this movie, this episode would be two hours long. Right. Like we literally discussed the movie, discussed the characters, and we're at an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a historian either. You know, like I, no. I would love to be able to more accurately, um, talk about like the historical stuff in this movie and talk about like everything and all the atrocities throughout American history and stuff. I'm not the guy to talk about that. I can, I can observe it and commentate on it, but I just, I don't 
know that much about this the history aside from what I've been told and what's been given to me through through the film itself. Neither am I, but I think if anything, this movie has shown me and all of us that it might be worth it to look at some of your history. Absolutely. And Since watching this movie, I, I kind of looked into this a lot, this whole case. And and to ne- not trust the textbooks or the history that has been written, but to actually do your own research. Yeah. Because uh, I'm sure everyone can find something they can relate to that has been buried in history because of its awfulness. Oh, yeah. If you took a history class in high school, useless. I, <laughs> you know, like half the shit they told you is so biased from one person's perspective exactly every single textbook that ever gets written is written by a committee of old white guys who go "Mm, let's keep that one out yeah you know i don't think we should use that word i'm like yeah but you you did and they're like yeah but not in the textbook we didn't you know (laughs) yeah so um i think yeah i wish i could get into some of the other stuff about the movie and, and everything like that but but this is your opportunity, people. If you're very much interested in hearing more about this, there, I bet there is now. I mean, there's a book that this is based off of, but also I bet there's lots of people who have done breakdown videos of the history of where this comes from, and uh, I'm sure there are many other stories to be found that history has buried. Yeah, agreed. I I definitely think I'm going to check out the book. To be honest with yeah. you, although the book's a little bit more focused on the FBI, the FBI, and how. J. Edgar Hoover, an evil person, um, was responsible for busting all these evil white men. I'm like, oh, the most notorious evil white man. Sick. <laughs> busted a bunch of evil white men. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit right, right before wrapping up just about this movie's Oscars potential because mm. we're getting close to that season. It's almost a time of year where I torture you into talking about the Oscars with mm. me <laughs> for episodes on end. Um, I feel like this movie is going to be a big force in this year's awards show. And I think that means we're going to see it in best writing, in best picture, in best actor, in best supporting actor, best leading actress. I think we're going to see it everywhere. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you agree with that statement? Do you think that it's I likely... totally think we're going to see It's a Martin Scorsese film that's got Leonardo DiCaprio in it. They shrug him off more than, you, more than you'd think. Not anymore. They he, used to. He's old now. They're yeah. going gonna to give him an award. Leo? No, I'm talking, uh, I'm talking Martin Scorsese. Oh, I'm yeah. talking Leo. Sorry. Oh, yeah, Leo... You're right. What did they award him for? It was The Revenant, wasn't it? The Revenant, it? yeah. Feels like the weirdest movie to give him exactly, his flowers they're like, for. Okay, I guess we got to give him something. Yeah. Like, everybody's been making jokes about it for years now, Scorsese, so we have to. sure, we shrug him off now, but if we shrug off this movie, I think we become the white folks we were just talking about. Yeah. You know? Fair enough. Um, I think this I think this movie's got huge Oscar potential. Do you think it's going to win anything? And if so, where, yeah. where, would you, where would you put your bets on it? Oh... Best adapted. Yeah, best adapt. Oh, because it's not going to win best writing because it's best original screenplay. Probably it's not, not original. No, because it's adapted. Yeah, uh, I definitely think it'll win best adapted if anything. Um, the ask the um the actor categories I think are, are huge for it. Yeah, but I think we've got some pretty uh incredible uh, actors as well that are going to be a force to be reckoned with. Um, and it's a I, good year for the Oscars. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I think if anything, it'll definitely get best adapted. Best picture, I, I sadly don't think it stands much of a chance, but it will get nominated. I think mm. we'll have to see. We're getting we're getting close to that time of the year. Yeah. Um, do you have any other thoughts on on Killers of the Flower Moon? Not really. Uh, what I think I would rate it. I think I would rate Killers of the Flower Moon four point five out of five. I give it the point five down because it's just a little too long for me. Fair enough. Uh, and I, would I ever watch it again? No. Yeah. Um, but. 
it overall is an incredible movie uh, and a very cool story that I never knew and uh, now feel different after have hearing after having have having I'm gonna leave that in <laughs> after uh, thought differently and made me feel differently about the history that I know and made me question those things you know mm-hmm I think I'm gonna give it a four and a half four and a half as well um not because anything's really missing for me it's just because the bar is set so high with his other movies true that it's just like well if we're basing it off his other movies it go- it sadly goes down to a four I think but in the grand scheme of life it's 4.5 for me yeah for sure I think it's just such a it's so interesting f- to have one of you know I'm not gonna say the greatest because that that's a bold statement but have one of the greatest living filmmakers tell it I know I did say you're the, the <laughs> Wait, greatest earlier. I'm sorry, I just got confused for a second because you no, said that at the beginning of the episode. I did, that's my opinion. I just mean like, you know, I see, at, I at large, yeah. To have one of um, the, the greatest filmmakers kind of reckoning with like the world that he, was around him. You know, like mm. when, when he was born, like a lot of the shit had just happened. But to have him kind of reckoning with the world like he was born right after the event of this movie or somewhere around there. And I think it's just so interesting to have him see the more evil sides of America growing up in it mm-hmm. and then kind of reckoning with that at the ending of his career. I think it's such a rare thing that we haven't seen in, in Hollywood, really. This is, a, a, would you say this is the old white man reparations? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, oh shit, maybe I should maybe I should make a movie about this Yeah. at some point while I still can. But yeah, no, I, it's it's a sad movie. And it's a it's a powerful movie, and I I still think he's just at the top of his game as a filmmaker. Um, really quick, actually, what did you think of the ending? Oh, well, you got oh, why does this keep happening? Shake your shake your push that in more. Hello, hello. Okay, okay. What do you think is with his decision to actually feature himself in the movie at the very ending to essentially do a, a wrap up where he explains? the events of the movie. Do you think that that was like a, a decision where he was like, and then I'm going to tell the story uh, that we just witnessed or like, do you, why do you think it was him as opposed to just another actor? Because I feel as though he probably has after have, have a, having him like created this movie, hearing stories from real Sage people understanding these the, or trying to understand it in the best way that he can who else is better to deliver that final line than the man who literally just studied the entire thing? Right. Like, you could get any actor to do that, but no one's going to feel that emotional weight like Martin Scorsese will, you mm-hmm. know? Like, no one will understand how important it is for this to be said, for this to be put on blast in the out into the world. Like, and to get the story right. No one will get it more than he will. Mm-hmm. Do I think it's him being pretentious and just throwing himself in the movie? Hell no. I think it's a man who wanted to tell this story and at the end wants to really make sure you heard the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree. I think that's well said. Um, the spot on. A really yeah. solid ending, too, to the Incredible. movie. Incredible yeah. ending to the movie. Great um, stuff. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you want to check out our other episodes, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can also find us on Instagram and at TikTok at the Dive In Movie Cast, as well as our individual Instagrams. I'm at Wesley Giffen. I am at Hayden Kutris, and it is the same name on our letterbox. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.